welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jilly Flatty and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jesse, not the best weekend for you. Not the best weekend, but I will say it's so much better to lose on a Friday mm. and then come and do this than it is on a, sat- a Saturday or Sunday because I feel like then it's too raw. You had some time Friday, to recover. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Went and watched the Arsenal game. Went well, to the park. But was the Arsenal game, did that make Friday worse? No, because I knew I always knew Arsenal were going to win because United rubbish. So yeah. it wasn't a surprise. So yeah. I knew as soon as Chelsea lost, I was like, I know what the situation is going to be by the end of the weekend. <laughs> well, what was your mood like on Friday, though? Give, like, tell us the truth. What was it like on Friday? Oh, my head was hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. noggin was boiled. But can I say, it is like, it's annoying, but incredibly, that is the first time I've ever seen Chelsea lose at Kings Meadow. And I must have gone and seen them play there like... Do you not get? 50, I, I would times. actually. I know my team lose like most weeks, but would you not just get bored? Like that's actually quite boring. No, I don't get bored. I don't get bored because Chelsea lose in other places a lot of the time. Well, not True. a lot of the time. Sometimes. So yeah. it's not like it's not like watching Barcelona where like you win. Yeah. I still, mean, they not, didn't win six 0 this weekend, Barcelona, but still not that that many home defeats though. But. No, like, yeah, that, that's kind of correct. That's what I'm saying. I, I guess in some ways, I don't get bored. No, but like sometimes, yeah, it is worth taking a step back and being like, no, that's bonkers. <laughs> I would, I maybe I'm just saying that because I support a crap team, but I think I would get bored. Jilly, you were at the game Friday as well. Yeah, I was. I was at the game. Were you um, shocked and stunned? Yeah, I just, I just felt like I've never seen. Chelsea sort of be like that at home. Like mm. I think Kings Meadow and obviously Stamford Bridge, but Kings Meadow more so is such a fortress. And I just felt Chelsea just were really off of it, which mm. is not usual, mm. especially not at home. But mm. I mean, I got the buzz anyway because it was a Friday night under the lights. It was like full crowd. It was as a player, mm. like you'd be buzzing off that. Obviously, not the result, but you would be buzzing to do that anyway. But um, yeah, I was just disappointed with Chelsea, really. Well, save, save it for the show. Save it for the show. It's just the pre- <laughs> it's just preamble. How was, how was your holiday flow? That's what we should ask. My holiday was great. It was really weird being in a different time zone and experiencing football. I have a lot of respect for people in the States who watch a lot of English football because I find it really hard staying up late to watch NWSL games or like I'm going to find it hard work to watch much of the the Women's Gold Cup that's coming up. So, so much respect to people that get up really early in order to watch English football games because it is really tiring. Like we, me and my brother got up really early anyway because we were doing like full dad set up at the side of the Mardi Gras parade and these American dads do not mess about. Like we got there at six to set up our little, you know, like gazebo with chairs and camping chairs and stuff and these people had already taken all the spots pre 6am some people some college people were sleeping out there so that was giving going to a 1975 concert (laughs) yeah exactly that much head loss Uh, but we did get a spot and that was quite nice because then we set up for the kickoff at 6.30am of Arsenal City in the FA Cup. So that was like, oh, okay, I was up anyway. Then we kind of sort of morphed into the Arsenal men's game and then went into Chelsea Palace, which said on last Monday's show how that was a bit of a dead game. But I suppose you do sort of like get your football done early in the morning and then you're like, the rest is all to play for. The rest of the day is done. Yeah, but I wouldn't like that because imagine your team, you've got up, Six. You're watching your team lose six five. That's your whole weekend. Well, I think ruined. how my brother feels getting up early to watch QPR. No, every that's week. a fool's errand. <laughs> he needs to. It's so, do something else with his time. It's so bleak, especially if you've got those early twelve thirty kickoffs. The three pm is like slightly more civilized, but yeah, these guys, man, they are like respect, respect. But it was very fun. Got back on Saturday. Still feeling a little bit dazed, but it was quite nice. Is that why you were running your mouth off on Twitter so much? I was like, this is screaming jet lag, some of these tweets (laughs) from Flo Lloyd Hughes. No, do you know what? It was more the fact that I hadn't been on social media much while I was on holiday. So I was like coming back with a bang. You're like, I'm going to comment on everything. I felt like I had a lot to say. You know when you just get in one of those moods where you like just want to tweet loads? Mm. And I feel like I hadn't had one of those days in a while. Because normally I'm like at a game or and like you don't have any phone signal or you're somewhere and you don't you like you're talking to people. So like when we go to Stanford Bridge or Emirates or whatever together, I never quite have the time to 
tweet. Mm. But I find when you're watching games at home, there's no one to distract you. So you just go off on one. <laughs> Did you not find that? Yeah. Well, I don't think I do it. I don't think I do it during football as much as you. Your your tweets are like your your equivalent of me when I'm drunk on the train home on my private Twitter. <laughs> I love when I see those ones. I'm like, Jesse's had a few. Uh, anyway, let's get into chatting about some of the football. We're obviously going to start on that Friday night game as Chelsea lost to Manchester City, a huge turn in the title race. We're going to talk about Arsenal's big win at the Emirates, another iconic day at that stadium. And we're also going to touch on some of the other stories in and around the middle and bottom of the table and the international break. So let's get into it after this. Okay, Friday night, Kings Meadow, under the lights. Jilly, you said you were, were hyped for this. You were on comms as well. Did it deliver? Um, no, not as such. <laughs> I think if you're a neutral here, like I said it yesterday, if you're a neutral and you're just like, as in you just want to watch the league and see how it unfolds, it's good for that aspect mm. that Chelsea don't then run away and become six points clear. So that's what I, I was seeing it as in. I, did, I don't ever really want Chelsea to lose, but in the sense of... I wanted City to win because I wanted it to be... Sorry, so Jesse. your fault. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> Jilly I put my voodoo on yeah. it. <laughs> but I just wanted it because I want I want that, you know, that excitement, especially with the games at the end of the season. Like I want that excitement. I want it to go down to the last day. Like I know probably Chelsea fans don't want that, but that's what I'd like just for as a neutral. So, yeah, it was just, it was a little bit flat. Like I said, I'd... I've not really seen Chelsea play like that how they did. And I just felt with City, they in the first half, especially when they was doing the high press, they Chelsea were sort of planning into their hands because before obviously the goal, there was a chance, I think, where it was, uh, Chloe Kelly nearly won it up against uh, one of the one of the defenders of Planet out, nearly won it from the press. So it was sort of the they were setting the traps there, but Chelsea were just still continuing to play in, into it. Um, and in the second half, it was one of those ones where I felt, obviously there was like nine minutes extra time. I felt like Chelsea could have been there for an extra 20, 30 minutes and couldn't have scored. You know, it was just sort of the subs that was made and everyone was literally attacking. And City's game changed in the second half because they got a lot deeper and they was weren't doing the things they was doing in the first half. So I think for... A neutral, you probably would have wanted a bit, few more goals in it. But yeah, I think overall it was just, um, it was one of them games, I think, with City. Obviously, they was buzzing. They got their, their away win, a huge win as well for them. But it was just sort of a bit of a, a stalemate as well. Yeah, I, it was quite like, it wasn't the most exciting game in the world. And I think also what's hard about it in that sense is, I felt like City had some good moments. I did feel like Chelsea had some good moments. It just felt like City were able to take them. And I think that thing you're talking about, Julie, about Chelsea feeling flat, it just really felt like a reminder to me of like the characters that Chelsea have like ended up missing. Like I'm convinced Chelsea draw that game if Sam Kerr plays because she's just the kind of person who like brings that energy and finds that moment, even if it is like right at the end of the game. It actually really reminded me of the Arsenal Chelsea game at the Emirates last year, where like Chelsea haven't been good they've been under the cosh for lots of it but for whatever reason they've stayed in the game and they've kept it at one nil and then like Kerr's there to pop up and I feel like that's just on Friday what Chelsea were were really lacking and and even with stuff like you know me official having already gone away to the gold cup not having like an extra centre forward you could bring on I think you could see that Ramirez is still you know maybe a sort of second behind her teammates that's kind of a bit to be expected although of course she should have had a penalty um, and maybe that changes the game maybe that allows it to open up but obviously the more it went on the, the more time ticked away and City 1-0 up they sat back further and further I think actually if Chelsea had scored we'd probably be sitting here being like that was a really stupid decision from City I think to an extent they like got away with one because that Shukunuskan chance at the end like she should probably score yeah. that one um and then I think you're saying, well, why did City not go for it when they were on top? But these games between teams at the top are about fine fine margins and they should be. And I think the thing that feels really different this season is it feels like in past seasons, Chelsea have found a way to, if not come out on top, but like be in those games. And I think my biggest concern was less Chelsea's actual performance in this game, but the fact that we still haven't seen Chelsea put in a good performance against a good team yet this season. Yeah, I think that's what so many, like looking at social media after the game and across the weekend, that's what frustrated so many Chelsea fans was because it felt like 
this sort of result had been a long time coming because nothing had been really convincing this season and perhaps there were moments in which... I don't which... think nothing's been really convincing this season. I think, like, what I would say, I was talking to my brother about this at the Arsenal game, is I feel like Chelsea are playing at constant 7 out of 10. So if you play a team who's not as good as you, you will win. And, like, mm. Chelsea have had some really impressive wins. But if you play a team who's the same as you, then... There's no extra like level to get to. I feel to. like there's so many teams that are, are are that level in the league as well because I feel like Arsenal suffer a lot from that but as well. Arsenal are the opposite, I think. They are like up, but you don't know. You can get 10 out of 10 Arsenal, you can get 5 out of 10 Arsenal. <laughs> They're Whereas more inconsistent. Chelsea are just like a straight line. But as soon as the team's above them, mm. then they can't find another level to get to. Whereas Arsenal, you're like... Don't know what version of this team I'm <laughs> going to see. say. Uh, I also think there's a there's a there's an element of luck that that I think you need in these sorts of games against top teams, and sometimes you're going to get it, and sometimes you're not. It's surprising to see Chelsea not get a little bit of the rubber of the green, especially at home. Uh, maybe it's just the reverse voodoo because of what happened at the CFA with Esme, Emily Heasley. Esme Morgan as well, <laughs> just sat on the bench casting like casting a little spell, just just sitting on her phone tweeting <laughs> but I do think there's a different kind of energy and I've spoken about it so much this season around this Manchester City team there is we talk about spells but there is an aura around them which I think we haven't seen before and they've done it in big games their results against the top four are really impressive they did it in Old Trafford and at Old Trafford and that felt like the first sort of like moment of really announcing themselves and I do think Chloe Kelly's let's give it the big one you know let's build these rivalries and this attitude and this aura is rubbing off on her teammates in such a positive way that we get that sort of celebration from Bunny Shaw that definitely ruffled a few feathers but that's important and it's not just about getting the reaction and giving it the big one and all that kind of stuff, which is great for the atmosphere and the culture of the league. But I also think that filters into belief. And what you said about Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr's that character for Chelsea. She's the, I don't give a shit, I'm box office, I'll get us out of jail. And Ramirez, like she's still, like you say, she's still getting used to playing with this team. She's still trying to play catch up a little bit and work out where she fits and how to play. She's a tremendous athlete and talent and great footballer, but then relying on her to win you the title is is a lot of pressure for someone that's just got there. Are we any closer to maybe seeing Kat Macario turn up and taking a bit of the pressure off? I know it's going to be hard for her to like be thrown straight in, but I feel like there needs to be another another person now in the mix to be like, hey, I can brighten you know shake things up a little bit. Yeah, well, Hayes said that Macario would play a game during the international break, I assume an academy game, and potentially be available after it. But I think all the stuff that you're talking about with Ramirez is going to be true for Kat as well. Mm. I know she's been in full team training for a while. So to a certain extent, she is going to have a relationship with her teammates. But you look at Sam when Sam joined the Chelsea team it took her like I know there's it was all a bit weird because of Covid and stuff but like it took her like three six months really to like get going with Chelsea and I think when you're like talking about one of the best strikers in the world taking that time it's understandable that someone like Ramirez who's like full of talent but not at Kerr's level is also going to take time and that will be true for for Macario as well I think for me the biggest player who can realistically come back and make a real impact on Chelsea is Millie Bright because it is crazy to like lose your captain and vice captain for like this period of the season and I think having someone like Bright back in the team will be a big big mental boost and realistically is someone who's probably going to be better placed even though she's not an attacking player although she can be um, well I was going to say I feel like that for the Champions League I feel maybe less so in the WSL but I feel like if Chelsea are going to try and win the Champions League which I I don't want to speak for you as the Chelsea fan in the room but I feel like that's maybe looking less likely as the weeks go by but no when Chelsea men's team the two times Chelsea men's team have won the Champions League true they play played some of the worst football I've ever seen. So. It's very true. And actually, there was a not uh, just going off piece for a little bit. There was an amazing little clip going around on Twitter about how Peter Cech, uh, like, 
studied Bayern Munich's entire season of penalty taking in the lead up to that game and obviously it paid off. Anyway, just wanted to indulge that. But I, I don't know if Millie Bright is enough, but I you know, you they need a leader as well, massively. That's what I mean. I think yeah. that's like for me, even in some of the chances Chelsea created and some of the moments they had, it it wasn't like the football was awful like the play that like when they Chelsea managed to play out of City's press there were moments they looked great the the shot that Frank Kirby has which is like a shot come cross that Keating just gets a fingertip to that was such a nice bit of build-up you can see those moments are there but it's like what you're saying when stuff doesn't go when you don't get the penalty for example you know like have who is the person in the team right now who's like getting everyone to like push and push and push and find those like extra one, two percents that you need. And like, I think it's admirable in some ways what Hayes is doing by giving Charles and Cuthbert the armband and having them rotate it. But I'm like, those, they're not like those leaders in the same way that, that Millie and Sam are. I'm sure both of them will get there, but like, it's a very, it's very weird. It's like, you're watching this Chelsea side who've like almost... I don't know, Benjamin Button themselves this season. Do you know right. what I mean? Like they've I'm suddenly, obsessed with that analogy. But they've like, oh, you're suddenly watching like a team of where, you know, like it's, yeah, like Shuk and Uskin's coming on. Like, is your Aggie Beaver-Jones came on for Guru Wrighton like after 60 minutes. Like, I'm, it's not, I'm not trying to use it as an excuse because I do still think like if, it's like anything. If Chelsea want to go and win the title, you have to make these things work. And, and senior, you have to deal with senior it. Senior players have got to step up a little bit more in those They've moments. got the deepest squad in the league. But at the same time, it is funny when you're like, these are kids. Like, lots of these people are kids. I, I wanted to also touch on the, the midfield issue, Jilly. That's been the kind of theme of Chelsea's entire season. And it's an unlikely error from Aaron Cuthbert, who has had some really, really important moments for Chelsea's season, especially in the Champions League, where they've, you know, found some of those group games a little bit tough at times. And she's been really important. She's such an energizing force. She's a battler. She is such a, you know, uh, an important figure in that midfield but they did struggle in those midfield battles against City they've struggled at times this season it's been an area of the pitch that they haven't like Emma Hayes hasn't quite mastered what she wants who she thinks best to play there how it's going to work and that was really the key in this game that yeah, you know, it feels like the one of the main reasons why they couldn't control the game and City obviously saw so many opportunities and that press especially performance of Jess Park who was tremendous is what wins them in game yeah, and I just feel, I feel for me like it, it's sort of with Chelsea's. Obviously, you're fitting players. You're trying to fit as many good players that they've got into the team. I've always liked Erin playing a little bit higher because I think, especially in the Champions League, when she was sort of pushed forward more, she does what Jess Park done to her. She does that to players mm. all the time. And I know with Erin, she likes to be that. I think more the deeper role was in getting being able to be like a box to box sort of thing. Um, I think as well with Lua Powers, I think I've seen her at times this season just be really sloppy with the ball. And it's in a in a midfield, you just can't, you have to think quick. And I think what Parker's learned since watching her play for the last few weeks as well is to get it and to move it. When there's a time to do one touch, when is the time to be able to turn? And I think even in the second half, the the gaps in the midfield, Park picked the ball up. In behind the midfield, neither Leopold or Cuthbert had a clue where she was, and it was just far too easy. And it's, seeing that as a, from a Chelsea team who are so they were so open and expansive is not the norm. But I also think as well, for me, Lauren James is for, for me she was not non-existent Friday night, and I think she's a player, especially when you're the likes of Sam Kerr. At, she's the player that people will be looking for to you. You're a match winner you can come up with something out of nothing. And she did it against United at Sanford Bridge. Yeah, it's but like... I just feel there's some games with her where it's like she fancies it or she don't. Do you know what I mean? That's like... the tale of her uh, of her career as well, I think. And it's like maybe that that expectation on the players that have more experience and the players that don't. She's been playing a lot of senior football from a young age, but she still really has... And is still young, but like has the mindset and almost the vibe of a young player who's still learning a lot. But there is so much pressure on her now to really deliver in the absence of other players. I would just like to see. Um, I know she obviously plays. She was playing like on the right. Or... Well, but the, I think this is what Emma Hayes got wrong 
I think because she started James as the 10 and Kirby on the right. And when I saw the team sheet, I was like, great, Kirby's going to play as the 10 and mm-hmm. James is going to mm-hmm. play on the right. And I was like, that makes sense to me because like we've been saying in the midfield, you need a body who's going to have the sort of like tactical mindset and defensive work rate to support Lloyd Pods and Cuthbert. And I was like, it makes sense like to have Fran as that player if you don't want to, for example, put Nuskin in because we saw her really struggle against Arsenal in their press. And so like you don't, you want to play, you know, two attacking players in that sense. And I did think once Kirby and James swapped, Chelsea looked a lot better like at the start of the second half. And but then I felt by that point, and this is I think LJ's problem is like if she doesn't get into a game early, yeah, I don't think it's even necessarily. I think this happens more obviously in big games because she's playing against better players. But you'll see her do it against smaller teams as well. It's just like it's almost like if she doesn't get the touches she needs, I don't know if it's like a confidence thing or an interest thing. But then she like kind of drifts out the game, and it was like even then by the time she was on the right, it was like too. It late. was like she didn't care. It was you know like Layla or Harvey was running faster than her. I can probably run faster than Layla or Harvey. Like, <laughs> damn. But do you Shots know what I mean? Fire, like, friendly fire for Layla or Harvey. Like, no offence to Layla, but like, <laughs> come on. I think that, that shows you what you're talking about. Yeah, and I also think in the first half with Alexandre, she was so focused, right? Lauren James had her in her pocket because she was so focused on this one. I feel like defenders, they think I've got to have this 1v1 battle with James. I've got to smash her or I've got to nick the ball early. She was literally, Alexandra was coming right out of the fence, was past, going past her midfield to try and get close to James. James was running rings around her and it's sort of, she's got that success of doing it and you know, hold a minute, this player is following you everywhere, but then it stops. It's mm. not consistent with it. My stock's been high on City since the start of the season. I did think in my predictions that City would finish second because Chelsea would just have enough of the sort of experience and quality to do what they do. How much do you think this result puts City in the driving seat? Because I think my feelings around City have changed in the past few weeks where I no longer think they're just going to finish second narrowly to Chelsea. I think they're going to win the league. And I feel like this result Not to cement it, but it gives this kind of belief that they need. The question is, can they not stuff it up against a a Brighton or a Bristol City or a West Ham? Because that is what almost seems like their downfall is like they can really turn it on in moments against the big teams. And then it's like they sometimes just do something really silly or get unlucky. It was the case in that Brighton game. Like they dominated, they had over 20 shots or whatever it was. It was ridiculous. So they they should have got something from that game. But it now, I think it requires them to just tap into that perfection and continue that consistency that they've had in recent weeks just to get themselves over the line. But I think they can do it. I think City probably should be seen as favourites from here just because I felt like Chelsea were always going to need to have a buffer before they went into the Champions League games. And I just think we know that Hayes is going to focus on the Champions League. It also means they're having to play extra games midweek against tougher opposition. I think it's silly to, even with Chelsea's pedigree, to say that that's not going to have an effect. Um, Plus, I think the fact that City now have both their other games against... Um, the top four, if we're still counting United as a tough game, which I feel like we're not necessarily, but you know they've got United and Arsenal both at home, which I think is also like a big boost for them. Um, but I don't know; it's interesting. I always think the teams that the team that is best placed to win the league is the team that gets the most points off the top four, and that's Arsenal. So. I don't know. I think I'd make City favourites just because they feel like they're so much more confident right now and they're not having the kind of up and downs that um, Arsenal have had. But it'll be interesting. I think the City-Arsenal game is the penultimate game of the season. So, And you wrote in your piece after this game about the, the, the advantage a little bit that City have crafted for themselves by having the CFA as the set home base, apart from the Manchester derby, which is going to be the Etihad, which I I don't know. I don't like them playing games. They always just feel like the atmosphere, having uh, drove up and back down to snowy Manchester last year. I just felt like, I mean, it was extremely cold, but I just felt like the atmosphere just feels a little bit, and I think maybe Old Trafford suffered from this a little bit. When everyone's 
spread out. Lots of Stanford Bridge maybe the same. You just can't quite tap into the same energy. Whereas the CFA, they are building something and continue to build something. The crowds have got a lot better over the last couple of years. And it's smart to make that now obviously like the majority or continue it to have the majority of your games rather than do what so many other teams are going, which is be like, let's get more in the Etihad. I think just leave it at the Manchester Derby if you want to do that. I think stay at the CFA, make that your your strong home form that it is. And I think they're going to have an advantage there. It's just whether Chelsea get that, and I'm going to say it's a luxury, but you may see it as a bit of a disadvantage, but... Chelsea like being able to charge down teams and they'll do that with some games in hand. So they're going to need to get to certain points in other competitions or have a hot dog game <laughs> that allows them to chase. If they don't have that, even though they they could end up behind City fairly soon, then I think it's going to be I think it's going to be tough for them. I do think it's true that Chelsea like to chase and I think a lot of their you know, a lot of their title wins have involved sort of coming from behind and putting Jesse's together. gonna be at King's Meadow, like messing up the pitch, putting a fork <laughs> in the grass, being like, Oh, can't I play don't the game, they, guys. I don't think they even necessarily need games in hands. I think it's also just been when they've been like points deficits, for example, and I don't think Chelsea win every game from here to the end of the season. But at the same time there is part of me that's at the back of my head that goes, But you kind of think they could. But I still don't. I just think the Champions League is too. I think if Emma wasn't leaving and then the Champions League maybe wouldn't be as big a thing. But I just think that will be what all the focus is. And, you know, there's stuff like Chelsea of Arsenal at Stamford Bridge on the Friday night. And then they go to Amsterdam to play Ajax in their away leg of the quarterfinal on the Tuesday night. Like, how, how, how do you weight those things? Like, I don't know. That's that's a question obviously for Hayes and she'll she'll say oh you know you go into and prepare every game the same but we know with Chelsea that that's bullshit like we've seen it before and especially with what players are available how does that impact things I think there are a lot of question marks around this Chelsea team whereas City if things stay, stay as they are and they don't pick up more injuries then you just feel like they're solid focused set you know I think they they could just run and run that's enough Chelsea City chat. Let's talk Arsenal, Manchester United. Another big result at the Emirates for Arsenal. We'll still never know what the attendance actually really oh my God, was. Do not <laughs> get me started on no, this. I can't be doing attendance discourse. We've done it enough this season. But it is funny. Uh, it, it's funny. Well, we'll just leave it at that. But we'll never truly know. Who would like to count heads for us from that day? Next challenge for a counterpress listener is give us your own tally of how many people I mean, you think we were there. I mean, we could have done it the second half because it was so boring in the second half. Uh, you were there, Jesse. What was the, the atmosphere like? A lot, I know a lot of Arsenal fans were saying, I felt like last season the Wolfsburg game was the best atmosphere that I've ever experienced for a women's game at the Emirates. You were at the Emirates. I was just watching at home. I know a lot of Arsenal fans were feeling like this was the best vibes and the best atmosphere. Would you say the same or? Yeah, I think like I spoke to Arsenal fans afterwards who, yeah, were saying like it was it was one of the best atmospheres they'd ever been part of, like even at men's games as well. And I think that's sort of testament to the group that they've got going. It's very noisy. I think the thing is, though, if you're in a different bit of the stadium, those people are very far away. So I watched the first half from the upper tier and it was like dead, like not in a, like, not in a bad way, just like, you mm. know, there's 60,000 people there. They're not all diehard Arsenal women's fans. So, mm. And then in the second half, I was down, like I was just too along from the main singing block. And even there, it was like, it wasn't as noisy. But I don't think that matters. Like all of that stuff will, will spread. Like it, it was like, it was good. It was mm. fine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was. <laughs> Jilly, I felt like watching this game, it was such a mid-off it was so funny to watch because I want to start with and this you know Arsenal fans will probably listen to this and think oh you're just being shady and nothing can ever be a good Arsenal <laughs> performance but my god Manchester United Football Club are terrible that was an embarrassing performance especially given the result that they had at the Emirates last season which felt like such a turning point for the team 
such a turning point for Mark Skinner. And we know we've given them the caveat all season. They lost Alessia Russo. They lost Onyabache. But still, fundamentally, there is more to that team that should still be challenging in games. I'm not saying you're going to beat Arsenal and you're going to beat Chelsea and Chelsea, you know, I've always struggled against Chelsea and you're going to beat City and they've not necessarily had great results against City either. But at the same time, you've got to be in games and it felt like I was watching a mid to low table side trying to cling on for dear life against a team that's also struggling right now. A team that has great individual quality, which they showed. Chloe Class, my gal, you've done it again. Shout out you. That's... Just going to say that, put that out there. But at the same time, it's like, my God, where is the game plan? Where is the just... Like, if I'm sitting at home thinking, oh, yeah, press this Arsenal back line that looks terrified to be there. And by that, I mean maybe uh, mainly Kadena and D'Angelo that looked like rabbit caught in the headlights from the off. They get five minutes of intensity, create some opportunities from it or get in the right territory and then they just gave up. There was no pressing. So slow, so lazy. Mark Skinner says afterwards when he was asked, oh, we can't press for 90 minutes. You barely press for 85. <laughs> like, my God. If I'm sitting at home watching that and seeing how obvious it is, your analysts definitely are. You as a very experienced football coach definitely are. You're not stupid. So, like, what? It's just so frustrating to watch. We're like, there is no clear identity, no game plan. And I know there's frustration with players and individual performances, but there are good players there who just seem to be without a sense of direction. Yeah, I think I said yesterday um, on the women's football show that I've seen Mark Skinner when he was Birmingham manager, and obviously I played against him, and he didn't have the best team, but in regards to individuals, but he had one of the best teams mm. in regards to hard to break down. They were compact. Every time you went to Birmingham, it was like, I mean, we got beat a couple of times often when I was at Chelsea. It was a very hard place to go to. You knew that you was always in a fight when you come up against one of these teams because he was well organised and he was well drilled. And you've obviously looking at that Man United team. For me, they didn't look like there was any fight. There was no real leadership in there at all. It was some sort of when the goals were going in, there was a bit finger pointing going on as in, oh, why did you do that? Why did you do, do you know what I mean? They, they don't have that. And I think you're looking at obviously like the first goal is obviously an own goal, but no one's commanding that area. No one's There was no communication. No. Because they all look at, is it who does the swing and a miss? Is it Zellum who, who takes like who tries to kick it or is Zellum it... misses it and yes. that's when it hit Jay Z. Exactly. So Zellum kind of goes for a swing and a miss. So Jay Z's completely rooted, as is Letitia, and then the ball just ends up in the back of the net. It's like no one is talking to each other about who's going for the ball and no one is reacting fast enough. And I think that completely just sums up the chaos at the moment. Yeah, I just don't think there's any real leadership. And then I think going forward, they all seem to be on completely different wavelengths. You've got fans saying about the substitutions. There's no direction from Mark. There's no that just getting them organised. And I think obviously you're looking at, I mean, Lacasse's goal for Zellum. That was just, it's like a calamity of errors. Do you know what I mean? That you just don't expect to see really from a Man United team in the sense of like obviously Mark comes out afterwards and speaks about investment and all this but you've had that as well I am bored of hearing the recruitment line I'm so well, bored of it they spend so much money exactly. as well it's just like I don't know it's just such a weird line I don't yeah. get it like how much more investment do you want in the summer they spent most of most of any of the teams yeah. basically like it's so boring and I completely understand and respect United fans who are at the end of their tether because I would be too because it's saying sometimes you've just got to shut up and work with what you've got and get the best out of it. Yes, in an ideal world, you wouldn't be starting Gemma Evans, but that's but what you've got to do. You, why did you sign her in the summer then? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a good question as well. But like, you know, obviously you want to be starting Riviera in that situation. You can't. But also, Golden came on at half-time, right, for Evans. And Golden has played left-back for United, like, a couple of times before. So he he chose to start Gemma Evans there. Like, there were... I know Golden was, like, ill in the week, so maybe there was this idea that she couldn't do mm. 90 minutes or whatever. But I do... I am just a bit like... 
And then even then, why don't you think, oh, you know, Arsenal have really struggled against sort of low blocks and sitting deep. So I'm going to play Hayley Ladd alongside Katie's element. We'll just sort I was of play really a bit surprised. of like a nasty double pivot. I was to like really surprised Ladd didn't start. Like they desperately needed someone like that in the midfield just to be a bit of a pain in the arse. And it was just, they were just lacking any bite, any character. Like it was just a spineless performance. And I don't necessarily, I think it's, you know, partly down to the way that the players were set up as well as individual performances. And then you've got kind of Nikita Paris sort of chasing shadows out the front. But it's like, there's there's no, no point if there's no Well, there's no coordinated press. press. Exactly. There were a number of moments where Lucia Garcia and Nikita Paris were going to press the same player. And I was like, well, that's exactly. obviously yeah. stupid. It's just a waste Because of there's energy. then an easy pass to the player that, I don't know, whoever the other one was supposed to be pressing. I don't know where the solution is going to be. I would be really keen to know, like with the United new investment and the changing of like technical positions within the wider football club, where that leaves the women's team. Are they going to care about where the women's team is heading and therefore are we going to see some big strategic moves in the next few months and in the summer? I don't know. But it feels like then does need to be a bit of a change and uh, because where they are right now and how far that they've fallen and... You know, Skinner was talking about, oh, we've still got to chase down. We've still got to chase down. And maybe there was a bit of luck in moments that got them to where they were last season. But they did, you know, keep it going till the final day against the most successful team in WSL history. And to now be fourth and Liverpool to be within two points of them is highly embarrassing, to be honest. And you could talk about the loss of those two players, but it's just not good enough. Like those excuses have to be put to bed at some point. And I know Arsenal fans were trying to cook me for my Kadena tweet. And I'll take, I'll accept that Jay-Z has not taking the L. Flo Rodgers is taking (laughs) the L. I think, I think um, the fact that they obviously paid a pretty nice fee for Jay-Z maybe just tips her over the edge of Kadena. I enjoyed the tweet. Someone tweeted saying, Arsenal versus Manchester United and the winner is Barcelona. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. But Kadena, my God, that's an embarrassing signing. But whatevs, uh, let's talk about Arsenal because it wasn't pretty at times, but the most important thing for them to bounce back from the West Ham result and from the FA Cup was just winning this game in front of a big crowd at the Emirates and boosting the vibes because the vibes had really dropped off a cliff in the last few weeks. They did the job. There were big players coming out in big moments and I think that was important as well. There was a little bit of experience that had to come had to come into play especially given the fact that they had D'Angelo being a bit wool and Kadena being a bit wool. Um, I think Lotta Wimamoy really held it down. Uh, I think, yeah, Lacasse was brilliant, especially as she's, you know, not had as much game time with Beth Mead coming coming in recently. But it was a nice way to kind of her to reassert herself in the team. And she's not going to the Gold Cup. So I think, you know, she could be important for them. Losing Fox to the Gold Cup, losing Leah Williamson to a hamstring injury. Like there were elements at play with that lineup that I thought, oh, this could be a, a really difficult afternoon for Arsenal. Part of that was the fact that United never really gave them much of a game. But there's still something that you have to deliver. And they got the job done. And they now, because City beat Chelsea, they now find themselves within touching distance again, even though a few weeks ago, I mean, I still don't think they're going to win the league, but at least they're still in the conversation. Yeah, and I was really pleased to see Kim Little back as well. Um, yeah, she makes a massive difference. She's huge for them. Um, and I also, I mean, I I feel a bit sorry for Lacasse because I think every time I've seen her play, she's always delivered, even in the Champions League and in, in the qualifiers. Um and I feel like it's sort of one of them ones when you as a player, you can do everything you possibly can do, but you're still not good enough to hold the spot. Um, so I like that. I also liked Blackstinius as well playing. I think she offers... Yeah, that was a smart move from Oliver. Yeah, I think what what she does is, obviously, Russo likes to come to feet a lot, whereas obviously Blackstinius likes to stretch and stretch defences and just be that runner um, and not necessarily get the ball all the time. But for me, I would like... In, in the FA Cup, he took off Russo. Yeah, and he um, obviously Kim Little come on later on, but Marnham was playing in that ten. I would like to see Russo in the ten with Black Sinis up top because I think 
When Russo's a number, I know your eyes just went up then, but when Russo's a number oh, nine. I'd like to see it. Let's do it. Let's experiment. They did it against Brighton, didn't they? So they've yeah. done it once I this season. I just think it, they really complement each other because Russo is a player that likes to hold the ball up. And when you've got, for me, Freedom Miles, she's not been at it this season. The gaps between, especially when you don't have Kim Little playing in midfield, the gaps between the forward and the midfield is so big. Russo's so isolated, she don't have that support. Whereas I think if you've got Blackstinius stretching the back line and then Russo's able to get it, you know, it's it's horrible for a defence when that's, obviously you're coming up against that. I do think Russo needs a partner. I do think I agree with that isolated element. I think she needs someone alongside her. Is it about dropping deeper? I don't know. But I think maybe they can... They can work together. I think they work really well together because they do the opposites. Mm. But I think what's interesting as well about what I thought about Black Stinius's performance is she wasn't just doing the runs in behind. And I think actually maybe that's a little bit what Rousseau's missing right now. It's not so much whether she drops or goes. It's that you know she's always going to drop. Yeah. So she loses that element of like unpredictability. Whereas I think with Black Stinius, you are thinking like, oh, she could turn and run. Yeah. But actually she was still the one dropping at points and like creating that space for Lacasse and Mead then to make the runs. And I think that was almost what was effective was not necessarily exactly what a movement was, but the fact that she'd put the question mark in Turner and Letizia's heads in a way mm. that I think Russo at the moment just doesn't do because everyone knows that's where she's going to go. Yeah. So you just let her go mm. and you leave that space there for her. And, you know, I think... That is something that, for example, I think Bunny Shaw's done a lot better this season because I think at points I find that she just drops too much and sometimes defences are like, okay, like, but we're going to carry on staying here. But I think it's that that whether you can make a defender be like, which way are they going to be going, that's when you start moving them and that's when you start seeing them make mistakes. And Russo doesn't have the pace, whereas Blackstenius creates that. You need someone with pace in that front line because they've got the width, they've got, strong wingers but also if Miedemar's fitness is still iffy like where is that point going to be to break the line if you're starting Russo up top yeah I don't think Black Stennis is actually even that, that fast she's faster but... than Russo though and I think she's she's elite at running in behind like that's her main game that's kind of her MO I do think Russo is still a more complete player and offers more and I think the, like when she's as she starts to score more goals for Arsenal, I think that will cement her where she is. I still think Blackstenius misses too many chances, even and though can I just say the, stinky, iconic, the stinky agenda. How like, iconic it was that the second goal comes from Blackstenius fluffing the chance. <laughs> I was like, like sorry. no, Stina assist. We love to see she's it. She's never beaten the allegations. Like, she's never been that gauge. She works hard. She's great at running in behind. She She's smart. She knows what she does. She knows her position well. She's good at reading the line, but she's still stinky when it comes to finishes. And I think finishing. And no, I still she was th- playing 4D chess. I still she think Russo is going to be more consistent with finishing. I think, think it will come with time. But I do think that pace is something that is not going to improve. So it's like, where do you find that element in that forward line to create some kind of point of difference? I did see some United fans laughing at Arsenal the fact that they didn't have any assists for their three goals which is quite funny and I think maybe just sums up where they're at right now which is like we just got to get some confidence we just got to get some goals and maybe the build-up play isn't going to be as typically Arsenal as we would have liked but like let's just fucking get some goals. Listen if your opposition is going to hand you stuff like that yeah, hand on you the take plate. it I think the thing that might be frustrating for Arsenal is feeling like this was a game where they could have really like boosted their goal difference and I know like Mead obviously hits both posts so to a certain extent they were a little bit unlucky with that but I did think if I was an Arsenal fan I'd have been like I really wanted them to put their foot down more in the second mm. half um, but yeah like of, co- of course also like it's always a hard line to judge in it because obviously Chelsea played that, that United team at different points and Chelsea, you force players into those errors, you know, like that is from movement and stuff like that. And I mean, the ref was on a bit of a mad one anyway, but like <laughs> Blundell oh and Evans were on yellow cards oh within God. like 20 minutes. So oh of course, like they're then going to like be sort of freaking out about 
the runs that Arsenal. The ref was driving me mad in the first ten minutes because the chaos that D'Angelo and Kadena were doing without receiving any <laughs> yellow cards. And it took about 15 minutes before United won any of those calls. It didn't matter in the long run because United was so poor that a few yellow cards wouldn't have made any difference. But I was like, what in the Emirates hoodoo is going on here? This ref is just bottling it at every opportunity. They needed Emily Heaslip to be there. I know. Well, she somehow inserted herself into <laughs> the, the other game. game. Oh my God, that girl just can't keep herself away. And actually, I do I do also think, I don't know what people on social media are talking about, the Kerry Holland two yellows are absolutely two yellows. So I don't know why people were, he's lipping that one. No, and then I think as well, you got Gemma Evans's, who was the complete duplicate really of Kerry Holland, but one's not a second yellow and one is. I will still die on this hill that we need to see more yellow cards. I guarantee you that if those same incidents in the first 10 minutes of the Arsenal Man United game and happened in a men's game, we would have seen yellow cards straight away. Stop with this idea and fantasy that women's footballers don't deserve yellow cards. Give them yellow cards. <laughs> it doesn't matter if people get sent off for doing stupid things. They deserve to be. Just get your bloody cards out. I'm so bored of it. Like, no, but I have to respect the ref for giving McCabe a yellow for pushing I respect off it. the ball because we don't see it she's always up to that kind of stuff and, and it she was never gets so, booked for oh my god it was so stupid I mean she stupid. always gets booked for other stuff so maybe in the long run it doesn't really matter but, but then she was dragging Victoria Pullover into that nonsense too because she went to push her as well she was like oh my my uh, experienced comrade is doing it let me have a push too and Leah Volti was like the two of you are idiots <laughs> but yeah that that was really stupid and there you go punish stupidity Please. I'm so <laughs> bored of this, like, just not seeing yellow cards ever. Like, whatever. I will die on that hill. And we've still, we have seen technically more yellow cards in the WSL this season. And that is because of the rule changes and much more around descent. Because of Emily Easley. <laughs> Time wasting and descent is really racking those up. But, like, don't be scared, guys. Don't be afraid. Just do it. <laughs> Just, uh, referees, if you're listening. It doesn't irk me as much as it irks you. Oh, my God. I like that you're wearing a yellow hat today to really emphasize <laughs> your support for yellow cards. Guys, it's my brand. I'm just trying to <laughs> trying to influence everyone here. Uh, well, we've talked a lot about two really big games, so we haven't really left a lot for anything else, to be honest. But Everton won at home for the first time this season, so congrats to them. And at one point, Brighton were looking over their shoulder and they still technically are but obviously Bristol City ended up losing quite considerably to Leicester City but things are getting interesting in the middle of the table just want to quickly give a shout out to Liverpool because they did beat Brighton on Sunday on Sky it wasn't the most riveting game in my opinion improvements from Brighton we'd say I think Brighton looked better I think Liverpool were a little bit lucky on this one to be totally honest Um, obviously the goal comes from like a Sophie Bagley era um, which I'm sure she'll be frustrated by but I thought Brighton looked like the better team for big chunks of of the match and yeah Liverpool were probably a bit lucky to hold on in the end although Poppy Patterson should also have been sent off for Brighton a little bit of stamping that was caught on still images on Twitter. So, yeah, retrospective cards for that one, please. It's not how it works. I feel like we need to clear this up. It's, it needs to be off the ball things that the referee hasn't noticed. That's off the ball. She's off the She's oh, on the floor. Like the, right in front of the line. Right in the front of the line, though. <sighs> it's the same as the Lotter and Bunny Shaw one. If the referee's, like, looking at it. Yeah, but you can Actually, say... she was, like, they were yeah, all, like, you, playing for the ball. Can't you say I didn't see it? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know what conversations it has, but that, that the point of the Rachel Daly one is yes. that the refs... It like, happened, yeah. like, in the dark arts corner where it's sneaky. You need a new career flow. You need to watch games, yeah. Yeah, like, third eye, and then you need to punish clubs So, and professional players. snitch. That's <laughs> <not> basically <laughs> the job you're saying. <laughs> oh, wow. I see you, <laughs> Not sure. Jilly, if I'd been that during your time... I wouldn't I have like played. You, yeah. <laughs> so you better watch... Be careful what you wish for, honey. We could do retrospective bad We could go way back. Retrospective bad on Jilly's career. You no, could be more depressed appearances. You'll be like, Jilly can't do commentary this afternoon because she's received a retrospective <laughs> ban for an elbow in 2009. So watch your back, hun. Be I was, careful I was what good. you wish for. Yeah, so was I. That's why I know how it's done is because I was sneaky and you have to be better at being sneaky and that's why the linesman should be embarrassed because it's right under her nose. Should be better than that. <laughs> better than that. But Liverpool, 
now within touching distance of Manchester United. I know part of that is about how far Manchester United have fallen. But again, like the progression from Liverpool this season, the recruitment, everything, our good friend Matt Beard, it's just been a great season. Yeah, it has. It has been a good season from compared to obviously last year. Um, but yeah, I think with them, I think he's got them well organised. I do think they need to chip in a bit more with goals though um, because they don't score as many. Um, but I think for Brighton, for example, that's a game where they, listen, we go there. If we have to get the goal out, we get the goal. On the worst pitch of all time. Well, yeah. Oh awful. my God. We um, we get back on the bus and we go home. But yeah, I just think obviously uh, Van der Sanden, she was obviously didn't play. You've got players who are there who can bring more to them. But I just think they just look more out of the rest of the teams in the league. Um, it's sort of that fighting it. Everyone says it the best of the rest. But mm. I think, yeah, I think they'll be well pleased with where they are this season so far. Yeah, definitely. International break, obviously, at the moment. Can I shout out our good friend Carla Ward? Yeah. Because I just think, not that I think Villa are necessarily playing a ton better, but they beat Spurs and they're like three points off sick for this point. And I'm like, you know, at the start of the season... It was looking really, really spooky. And I'm like, really? Then they're, they're not that far off from finishing basically exactly where they finished last season. Also, I looked at that starting lineup and where they were having to play certain players and thought, this is going to be a tough Yeah, No day daily. Darley nope. couldn't start. Obviously, they've Maritz got the had injuries. to play a centre back, which I was reminded that she's played there for her national team, but it's not really ideal for her. Hansen was starting up top. It was just like, it was not great and Nob scores an absolute worldie and they get the job done I know Spurs fans looking at Twitter afterwards are a little bit worried about some of the recent performances but they are missing some big players and they some need January to the signings end the Beth England Martha Thomas together experiment it does not work <laughs> what one or the other you got to go for one or the other who are you okay. going for mm, probably mm. Beth even though she's not in great form it's I still think she's the best it's, it's the Chloe Lacasse problem. It's like Martha Thomas has proved herself, but Beth England has but the Martha experience. Martha Thomas also and she's like, captain, isn't it? She's, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd play Beth. Anyway, yeah, shout out Carla. Massive result yesterday. Massive, massive. And their first big result against I think it's their first team win against the them. top, someone in the top half. Yeah. yeah, which is really, really important. So, yeah, shout out Carla. The, the season starts now, guys. <laughs> anyway, yeah, international break. So it's a little bit quiet because I feel like this is an international break from an English point of view that and a UK point of view and everyone that's not in the Nations League finals is kind of dead. Uh, England going on a nice sunny holiday to Spain for some games and the under-23 is going to be there as well, which is quite fun. But there's a Nations League semi-finals and then final, which I think will be interesting from a kind of neutral point of view and European women's football point of view. We've got Netherlands, Spain, France and Germany all fighting it out to be the Nations League champions. But really, it's about Olympic qualification. We've I have th- decided that I will be supporting the Netherlands for the uh, to get to the Olympics and then be at the Olympics because I was like, who can I support to root against the USA, which is obviously <laughs> going to be my modus operandi this summer. But when isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but even more it's so. even more now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, sorry to the Netherlands if this is a jinx, but I just want to nail I think that's my colours. I think that's a fun choice. So. I think Germany have been a little bit hit and miss. I would normally probably go no, to Germany's them. Germany's spooky. Yeah. Can't support France. I think Netherlands are fun. They've got Can't fun characters, Spain. but no Jill Rhodes. I know, but they've got Vicky P. This is the point of time international breaks. I'm like, yay! I can love Victoria Pulova again. Yeah, she's yeah, time to shine right now. Although it really is maybe came off injured in the Arsenal game, so maybe True. we won't get to see her. Who knows? Shanice van der Sanden. <laughs> this is your moment. I don't know if she's in the squad actually. <laughs> anyway, we've also got Gold Cup, which is a little bit tough for us to watch on this side of the world. But that the prelims have already happened, which was just to find out who's going to be in the groups in the final places in the groups. But the tournament properly starts on Wednesday. Mexico and USA get in their first games it should be fun there's also like it's kind of a it's a bit of a CONCACAF experiment it's the first time they've done this and they've got some non-CONCACAF sides coming in just for a bit of fun so I think it could be an interesting tournament likelihood is that USA will win it but you never know you never know guys on Thursday we're going to be doing a counterpress book club the return of the book club we're going to be talking about Casa Semenya's autobiography The Race to Be Myself so you can either cram that in now and get the book or listen to it on audio believe it's on Spotify's premium audio book availability so you could do that or you can bank it and listen to it at a later time 
when you've read the book. So join us on Thursday for that. Thank you, Jilly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. We will see you on Thursday.